I'm Carson Horn, and it's Friday at 11, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome in, everybody, and happy Friday. We are live here in Auburn, Alabama. You're listening to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Well, it is the bye week for the Auburn football team, but that doesn't mean we still don't have plenty to discuss. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to start out with a recap of the Ole Miss and Auburn game, and then we're going to jump into your questions. I'm going to have answers for them, answers you may or may not like, but nonetheless, they will be answered. So we'll do with that, and i got a couple other things I'd like to touch on if we have time, but I want to focus mainly on recapping this Ole Miss game and the Q&A section. That's going to be the most important for today's show. As for what's going on in this Auburn football program during this bye week, I think some players are getting some time off. Uh, Coach Brian Harson discussed, you know, the players trying to get caught up academically some and trying to get healed up. So a lot of injuries. We'll dive into that in a little bit more detail later, later on. Um, but as for the coaches go, they're hitting the road. They're, they're getting out there and recruiting, which is a good thing. I know it, it can be tough with with the environment surrounding the, the program right now and whether or not these coaches will, will even be here next year. They're getting out. They've still got a job to do. So they're out on, on the trail going to different high schools and, and different states uh, trying to continue to sell this Auburn program and, and what uh, they believe the, the future is. So with that being said, though, let's dive in this Ole Miss game. Man, this was a tough one. It was a game where I really thought Auburn had a, a chance to win. And it, um, before the game, I know I picked Ole Miss. I still thought this might have been an area for Auburn to get an upset. This this Ole Miss team, is they're good. I don't think they're as good as their record shows. And But Auburn wasn't able to get it done. They failed, but they battled. They fell down 21 to nothing. That's what I want to start with. So here you go again. You go into Oxford. Uh, 11, 11 a.m. kickoff. It was a it was a sold out crowd for Oxford. I don't think Oxford's one of the best one of the better environments in the SEC as uh, as far as that goes. But that's just my opinion. But but Auburn goes in there, gets down twenty one to nothing. I think everyone was ready to, you know, that hadn't been already was calling for Brian Harson's head at this point. Here we go again. We're about to get rolled. We had no answer. But the team battled. Look, you saw the little bit of the altercation on the sidelines you're watching on TV with Tank and, and Robbie getting into it. Well, it ended up that ended up being a good thing because after that, the offense turned it on and they really got to running the ball. Angry Tank was was uh, awesome to see. He had his best game of the season. And Auburn figured some things out, uh, got this game close, got back to 28-24 at one point, but it just wasn't quite enough. Really, the turning point... Uh, in that game after Auburn came back and made this thing competitive was that onside kick by Lane Kippen. Had that gone a different direction, maybe the game goes a different direction if Auburn gets that instead of Ole Miss. Uh, So it was a gutsy call by Lane Kippen. You have to give him credit for it. Uh, Credit for it. It wasn't poor coaching that Auburn wasn't ready for that. You can make that argument. I'm really not going to in this situation uh, because – I don't think that's something you expect in that situation. I think Auburn's front line was maybe at 15 yards, and that that's probably something that Ole Miss saw on film throughout the week. And they said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of that if we get the opportunity to." And based on the way the game was going, I think Lane Kiffin realized, like, well, we're struggling to stop them. 
we, we got up. Here's a chance for us to maybe get up two scores and then kind of feel more comfortable there. That's really that's the, really the only time you kind of make a move like that is when you're struggling to stop the opposing offense, which is crazy to think that someone was struggling to stop uh, Auburn's offense. And uh, that may say more about Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss's defense going forward than Auburn, but again, that's something else we'll we'll talk about a little bit later on in the Q and A, especially. Um, but the things that have to be done is you're going to win a conference game against a good team. Still, Auburn wasn't able to do, and that goes back to turnovers. Uh, Robbie Asher had two interceptions. Uh, the turnovers were three to one uh, ratio, and again, that's just you can't win that way. And even even if you do. A lot of other things will. It, it, it is a lot more difficult to win football games when you're down in turnover margin. And unfortunately, yet again, uh, Auburn being one of the worst teams in the country in uh, turnovers this year, uh, lost that turnover battle again and just was, weren't able to overcome the deficit. Uh, as far as the positives go, though, before I jump more into the negatives of the uh, recap of this game, obviously the running game. Ran for three. 100 yards. That is that is awesome. That was a big positive. That's where the strength of this team has to be. And going forward, this is going to be uh, extremely important if Auburn wants to be able to uh, get bowl eligible and to come up with some wins in SEC play. Running the football has got to be the identity of this offense. And I want to give credit where credit is due because I've been very critical of the staff, as you all know. I, I thought the game plan offensively was pretty solid. I like the mix-up of uh, different Running schemes, you saw zone, you saw stretch, uh, you saw power, you saw different, showed some different things to old uh, old Miss, and that was very good. And and I really do think they got back to the basics up front. You made saw Jeremiah Wright play at guard, and I thought he actually played pretty solid. Somebody who was a a, a big time recruit a few years back. He's dealt with injuries. He's gone to defense to offense. He's somebody that has worked his tail off. So it's very uh, as. As I'm sure the coaches feel the same way, it's great to see somebody, a player like that, that you know has worked hard, just wants his opportunity to get on the field, didn't care how, whether it was defense or offense, to finally get that chance. And he was able to come in at guard, and he, he played pretty well. And so that was good to see. Of course, Austin Troxel uh, was out for this game. So I think you saw some improvement from the offensive line, even with some guys out, even with a, a change up front. So that was good to see. And again, something that uh, I know I had a question about uh, for the Q&A that we'll dive more into there. But that was a positive running game. Obviously a big deal uh, there. Uh, as far as negatives, obviously giving up 448 yards rushing is inexplicable, unexcusable. I, I don't know any other way to uh, to put it. Uh, they Ole Miss ran the ball 69 times for 448 yards. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Even, you know, I'm not sure. You know, we saw some great rushing offenses back early in the Gus Malzahn era. I, I'm i not even sure that Auburn ever put up that with Nick Marshall and Trey Mason in, in, in 2013 as far as amount in rushing. They may have. I'd have to look back. But I do know that that is the, maybe the most yards Auburn has ever given up. I'm not exactly. But if not, it's close to it in, in the history uh, of Auburn. I think maybe there's way back up. 30 or 40, 50 years ago, they may have given up that many, but that that's astounding. Uh, give credit to where credit is due. Lane Kiffin, this Ole Miss offense, was clicking. Uh, they really did a good job where they, I felt like they ate up most of their yards was on the edge. It wasn't as much 
right down the gut. You saw it a couple times, then more later on in the game. That's usually how it goes. Later on in the game, when you wear the defense down, uh, you saw them, you know, kind of go back up the middle a little bit. But they did a really good job getting, uh, taking advantage of speed that they had on the outside, getting to the edges. But no matter what, that 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 can't happen. And you know, you knew going into this game, this Ole Miss offense, they want to run the ball. That's their strength. That's what you should have been focused on because, again, Jackson Dark only only completed nine passes for 130 yards. Uh, you knew that the threat of a vertical passing game was not really there. So I, I know it's not easy with this Ole Miss offense and the tempo they play at, but there's no excuse for giving up 448 yards on the ground. Uh, quite quite astonishing, uh, if, if we're being, being honest uh, there. But I think a lot of that has to do with the the fact that this Auburn defense is thin, so they they wore down. And uh, I gonna I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to talk about more of that later. But I do think that that was a big factor in that, and I'll address that later on. But I want to now discuss the quarterback situation. So Robbie Asher starts out really poor. Uh, he ended up with two interceptions in the game. He got benched at one point. After he, then he got benched for a series, and he came back in, and he really uh, found a little bit of a rhythm, uh, found some uh, success running the football, and uh, it helped Auburn's offense click a little bit better there after he was benched. I didn't think that there was a chance that T.J. Finley was playing in this game. I knew he traveled. He did not travel to the last road game. That still didn't change my mind on the fact that who, he's not going to play, and I really don't think he was 100%. Uh, but he comes in the game for that one series, and he, you know, nothing really happens. Gets sacked there, and on on third down, and, and comes out of the game again. Hopefully, after this bye week, TJ's back healthy, and we'll see where the quarterback situation goes from there. But uh, Robbie being able to fight through some adversity was good to see. Uh, I know he got frustrated on the sideline. I I know that, you know, I'm sure the the coaches and fans would like to see maybe him handle himself a little bit better as far as his emotions go, but he's young. He's still uh, learning. He's still he's still growing. So that was a good moment for him uh, to be able to battle through that and come back and play a better game after he was well, still not great. I mean, 8, eight for 17 for 140 yards is still not great, but it, it was improvement, and the offense got flowing a little bit. So that should be a little bit of a boost uh, of confidence maybe uh, for Robbie, I certainly hope so. Again, he's working hard. He's just still got a long way, long ways to go to be a successful quarterback at a high level, especially in the SEC. But regarding the quarterback situation, I think there's a good chance TJ will be healthy after this after this bye week. I don't know what Brian Harson is going to do regarding the quarterback situation. I don't think he'll tell you. I don't think we'll be able to find that answer out until eleven o'clock uh, a week from. Uh, today, I mean, excuse me, a week and a day away from uh, today when Auburn plays Arkansas. Um, I, I really I really don't have a good feel of what he's going to do. I really don't know. Obviously, he's going to play whoever he feels like the be- gives him the best chance to win. With the offensive line situation as it is, I tend to side more towards you'll probably have more success with, with uh, Robbie Ashford. However, I do believe TJ has better command of the offense. Obviously, he's a better passer, so I don't know. It's things you got to balance. Does Auburn go back to the two-quarterback um, situation that they were kind of doing there at the beginning of the season? I hope not. If you're going to do that, I'd rather, again, Robbie, be just a wildcat QB 
and not continuing to try to go back and forth of, of series. It doesn't allow your quarterback to get in the rhythm. It didn't work very well at the end of the season. And that's something to keep an eye on, though, and that uh, I, I'm certainly uh, intrigued by. So we'll see how all that plays out um, here. But the quarterback situation is going to be something to keep your eye on coming out of this bye week. Um, but as for as for uh, Auburn moves on from this from this Ole Miss game and finishes, you know, moves into this bye week, I think they're going to look back at this this season up to this bye week and and see a lot of uh, games that got away, games that you know us as Auburn fans are sitting here very frustrated because we're sitting at three and four, obviously. But you look at that, you know, LSU game. You look at this Ole Miss games, two games that that could have been winnable games. Now you you may have gotten away with one against Missouri that you shouldn't have won. That Missouri's thinking about. Uh, and their fan base is thinking about. But for Auburn, and, and Brian Harson said it, he said, I, I think we're a lot closer than, you know, some folks may believe. And I believe to a certain extent that is true. That doesn't mean there's still not glaring issues with this Auburn football team. That doesn't mean that there's a, there's not a talent gap with this Auburn football team. Uh, that doesn't mean that they, they're a, a play away or an interception away from being uh, a competitor to uh, in the SEC West, because uh, they're not. But, they are a few of those things away from being a respectable team, at least, and a team that has a chance to to make it to a bowl game. This this is not where we want to be uh, as Auburn as an Auburn program. You don't want to have to be having these conversations like, man, you know, we we just do this, we can get to a bowl game. That's not where I want this program to be at as a, as a fan. I know that's not where Auburn supporters and and even Brian Harson wants this program to be at, but it's just where we're at at this moment, and that's why. I have to put things into that context and into that perspective. Uh, but we're going to uh, talk a lot more about uh, this Auburn football team and where they can go in the future going forward. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to jump into your questions. going to do my best to get the best answers I can give. I know to start off, we're going to have a few questions that are uh, not pertaining to Auburn, but then we'll uh, jump into some Auburn questions there at the end. So stay tuned. I, I know you all want to hear your questions and what answers I have to them. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this commercial break. These are the moments you remember. Before you start work, a message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Welcome back now to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. So let's dive into your questions again. I have plenty of listeners who are not Auburn fans, and so they've asked some some questions not pertaining to Auburn, and that is perfectly okay. So we're going to start out with those questions first, though. So the first question is, what are your thoughts on Tennessee's takedown of Alabama? Well, first, I'm kicking myself for not sticking with my original uh, prediction back all the way back to when Arkansas played Alabama. I said, okay, Arkansas is going to win. I mean, excuse me, I predict Arkansas beat Alabama that weekend, but my general prediction was Arkansas or Tennessee won is going to beat Alabama. And I'm going to pick both those teams in the weeks that they play Alabama. But then I got to the Alabama-Tennessee week and all the hype around Tennessee, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to go Bama now. So I'm kicking myself for changing that prediction. That's my first thought. But on second thought, I think this is huge. I mean, huge for this Tennessee program. It, it was time. It, it was time. You know, after 15 years, it, it's time for you to beat somebody. And and it finally happened. I think this Tennessee program is for real. And they're gonna, but they've still got a hard road ahead of them. They've still got to defeat Georgia. If they do that, then they they'll go to the SEC championship and probably face Alabama yet again in in another rematch. So it's still a hard road ahead of them. 
but for where they were at in the the years of turmoil and drama that surrounded this program, and it seeming like they were never ever going to get out of the the rut that they were in. I, I think this kind of marks that they're that they're back now. They're they're competitive, even if they don't, you know, even if they lose to Georgia and don't make the SEC championship game, or you know, they they're back though. They're a competitive program now. They're one of the premier programs in the SEC, and what Josh Heupel has done in just year two. It is remarkable, but it goes to show you that it doesn't take much to, in this day and age in college football, and this should give hope to Auburn fans, that it, it doesn't take much to get a program back to a highly competitive level due to the transfer portal and due to the guys that are out there. You go and get a a really talented quarterback like a Hendon Hooker. You get a couple playmakers at wide receiver. You you get a couple playmakers on defense and you're back competitive. It doesn't mean that you're going to be national championship in year one. I'm not saying that, but you can get back to a competitive level really quickly if you get a few key pieces. And Josh Heupel has done that. And, you know, thinking back on that hire, that hire was, whoo, it, it did not get a positive reaction uh, from Tennessee fans, from the national media. And it just goes to show you, you never know how a hire is going to turn out. Scott Frost was seen as a home run hire, a coach everybody had to have. And we saw how that turned out. There's plenty of other examples uh, that you can go on there. But uh, Josh Heupel and this Tennessee team has done a lot of great things. That Georgia game is going to be huge uh, coming up here for them. But as for Alabama, I think this game says a lot about them. Uh, this was coming. And for two years now, we've seen the same type of, of things plague Alabama. Uh, struggling secondary, uh, penalties undisciplined, and those two kind of things go together. It's just uncharacteristic, but at some point, it becomes a part of who you are, and I've touched on this after the Alabama-Texas game, that at some point, these things aren't uh, an exception, they're the rule, and I think it's starting to become the rule for Alabama now that, you know, maybe penalties are going to be a part of who they are. Maybe their secondary is just not that good. I know Alabama fans don't want to accept that, and I'm not saying it has to be true. I'm not saying they can't get better at this. But it's just it's odd to see Nick Saban coach teams in his whole time in Alabama and his whole coaching career, really. You just don't see these things typically out of Nick Saban teams. Why are they undisciplined? Why are, why are they struggling so much in, in these aspects? And then the whole deal that they talked about this week about the team being anxious coming out of the, the, the tunnel against Tennessee – Give Tennessee credit. Apparently, they were able to to strike fear into Alabama, something that that hasn't, I don't know, it's ever been done before. That's not who they are. That's not their culture. Alabama is a is a is a team that strikes fear into their opponents, and so that is what's startling and shocking to me. That how in the world did this program get to this point? And I certainly, and Saban said it last night uh, on his radio show that. That is keeping him up at night because I think he's trying to figure out how in the world did, did this program get to the point where we're afraid, we have anxiety about, about these games. Look, it's, it's, it's in human nature to be to be nervous about big games, but it's just not something that you would have seen from the Alabama of old. So I'm not trying to get here as much as I'd like to say it, that the Bama dynasty is over and that you know Nick Saban's losing his touch. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's he's... He's coming across some new challenges, some challenges he hasn't faced before. I don't know if it has to do with just the players that are on the team right now. Maybe they don't have the, the same leadership that, they, that they've that they had in the past with, on some of these teams. I, I really don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure Nick Saban knows the answer. 
But he still has time to get this figured out for Alabama. They can still win the SEC West, still go to the SEC Championship game. And if they do that, finish out the season, win the SEC, they'll still be in the college football playoffs. And that's obviously their goal. But, but this game said a lot about both teams. It's hard to say uh, what this game, you know, said more about which what program. You probably have to go Tennessee in that sense because of where they've been. But certainly a lot of takeaways from that game. And these two teams, though, are going to be fun to watch uh, going uh, going forward throughout the season. Saying on that topic, the second question was, is Hendon Hooker the greatest QB ever? And I know this was uh, maybe slightly a joke here. Hendon Hooker is a phenomenal player, a great quarterback. His story is excellent as far as uh, not being highly recruited out of high school. Uh, he actually was fairly interested in Auburn if uh, you know Auburn fans want some more pain this morning. Uh, but he goes to Virginia Tech, uh, doesn't win the job there, transfers to Tennessee, doesn't win the job at Tennessee last year then takes it over last season, and it's gone from there. He's now probably the front runner uh, for Heisman. He's been excellent. He is a very, very quarter, uh, very, very good quarterback, but not the greatest ever. And and on that you know topic here, I, I've seen a lot of comparisons this week to LSU, this Tennessee team to 2019 LSU. And I'm just going to say, I, I think people need to hold their water there. That is a quite a leap to make. For one, I, I don't think Hennon Hooker's Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow was incredible uh, in that 2019 season. Hennon Hooker's a very good quarterback, but I'm not ready to say he's Joe Burrow level of 2019 yet. Tennessee, also, they have some very good players at receiver. We know that. Um, but do they have quite the NFL talent that that LSU 2019 team had at receiver? I don't think so. I don't think they have... The, the NFL players to the extent that 2019 LSU team had. That 2019 LSU team also won in Tuscaloosa against Alabama and dominated for a lot of that game. Tua let a comeback late, but it wasn't quite enough. So I'm going to say hold your water on that comparison. Uh, even, even if Tennessee does end up winning the SEC and makes it to the college football playoffs and wins the national championship, that's still uh, quite elite. That that, that takes away a lot from that 2019 LSU team. They were special. And, and so I think those comparisons need to hold off a little bit. And I know some were just saying, well, it just has to do with the flashy offense. But but even even to that extent, I would not compare those two teams. And, and maybe I get proven wrong, but that's where I'm at right now on that. That doesn't take away to answer the question that Hendon Hooker is a great quarterback, not the greatest ever, though. And then what, what does Alabama need to do to bounce back this week and what needs to happen for Alabama to be within the reach of the top four? So if you're Alabama, of course, I'm going to predict this game later on, but Mississippi State is coming into town. Uh, Mike Leach's air raid offense are coming off a loss. But Alabama just needs to get back to, to being who they are. Uh, you know, offensively, they did not run the ball as well as they probably would have liked to. Uh, in the, in that game against Tennessee last weekend to probably trying to get Jameer Gibbs back going on the ground. He was obviously a big playmaker in the air, but getting him back going on the ground probably be important. And just focus on you. If you're if you're Alabama, getting back to doing what you do well. Uh, you know, Nick Saban mentioned making maybe having to make some personnel changes. If that's the case, and get those guys in there, get them the experience, and see how they do uh, in this situation. But you're Alabama. Everything that you want. Uh, to accomplish is still in front of you. You control your own destiny, and so there's no reason to freak out or, or be anxious going into this week if, if you're Alabama. So I think they just got to get back to being them. They got to clean things up. 
So if you want to get specific, yes, they've got to get better as far as penalties go and as far as the discipline that they play with that I just that I touched on just a second ago. So that's going to be big. As, as for being within the reach of the top four, I feel like they already are. They're at number six. But as far as getting back into the top four, the, bearing losses from Clemson, uh, from Tennessee, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, or Georgia, it's going to be hard to get into the top four before the SEC championship game, I would think. Possibly uh, after rivalry weekend when Ohio State and Michigan play, but I don't see those two teams losing uh, before one of them will, of course, have to lose when they play each other. And I don't see Clemson losing the rest of the season just based on their schedule. Tennessee is your greatest chance of someone uh, losing, I think. Uh, Georgia, again, Georgia and Tennessee are going to play each other. So there's a chance, I guess, Bama could get back in there at four. If you do the math, try and do it in my head. It's not real easy right now. They're sitting at number six. But if Alabama controls their own destiny, they win, win out and they win in the win the SC championship game, then they'll be in the playoffs. So again, I don't think there's there should be too much concern about where the rankings are now. They don't matter, to be honest. It will be interesting to see uh, the first college football playoff rankings, I believe, come out the first of November. So I think we've got what? Yes, we've got two more weeks of college football before the first rankings come out. So it'll be interesting to see how everything is at that point. And again, I think uh, Georgia and Tennessee play later in November. So, of course, all eyes will be on that game as well. So we'll conclude right now and go to a short break and then come back. I feel like this is a good good pause point before we jump into strictly Auburn questions. I know uh, some of the Auburn listeners may be a little frustrated when you're uh, going to get back to Auburn. I promise you I'm going to get back to Auburn right after this break, and we'll jump into Auburn-specific questions uh, for segment three. Uh, it should be a lot of fun to, to talk about some of these, some some great questions that we've got coming up here after the break. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Fire threatens everything in its path. When it threatens our nation and our community. Welcome back now to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. And I do apologize because I did jump the gun just a tad. So we are still one more question and then we'll get into Auburn questions. But I really like this question. And uh, so I do want to address it here. It says, teams in the pros and college protect players from abusive fans by arrest and bearing, uh, barring from games. Should the same be done to protect fans from unprovoked player abuse? My belief is this question is in, is in reference to Jermaine Burton and what looks to be uh, him uh, hitting a uh, woman after the Tennessee-Alabama game when Tennessee fans stormed the field. I was watching, yesterday I was watching the Paul Feinbaum show and this exact topic was actually discussed on there. I didn't agree with the opinion that was given uh, from the, the person who was talking to Paul Feinbaum. I forget who it was now. But he, he said that they need to stop you know fans storming the field altogether in, in games. I, I think it's awesome, the, the storming of the field for, for what it does for you know your environment and and just the the memories that come from that, I do agree. It's risky. It's dangerous. Injuries do happen, and, and that is, and that is a negative of it. But again, it, it's just one of those things. What out? What is it worth it? You know, the, the risk a little bit. And so I certainly understand that you know worried about someone getting seriously injured. I, I I do understand that, but I think it's also great for the sport though to see 
the the excitement and the fans storming the field and the the history that goes beyond all that. I think you can do both. I still think you can keep you know fans and, and players safe, but I, I do understand the risk as far as players go when these fans storm the field and the opposing team's trying to get off the field. That that can be dangerous with fans coming up to, to players and and harassing or, or or abusing them. But as far as like fans go in this situation, you know when you're storming the field, you're putting yourself at risk there. Because uh, it's in an uncontrolled uh, environment, so there there's no way to con- control that situation. Now, there's been other instances of you know uh, of fan uh, players going out of their way to get to the stands to to uh, deal with deal with fans, and and I do in that situation. Like I, I'm thinking of some previous and like I'm trying to think in college football, but I can think of NFL and and uh, NBA where you've had players try to go into stands to fight fans in that situation yes there needs to be better security uh, surrounding surrounding the stadium surrounding the the stadium seating to keep fans and players separated and, and certainly in the situation here with Jermaine Burton um, I, I certainly think he will probably face legal consequences if that you know if they have proof again the video is a little bit blurry it certainly looks like though uh, he did hit a woman there, and I don't want to go too much into that whole situation, but I'm sure he will face consequences if that is is proven there. Uh, but again, when fans put themselves in that situation, they're risking, you know, they're risking injury again. They're they're not supposed to rush the field. They make the announcements that even those in power that make those rules want to see the fans rush the field. You saw the video, I'm sure, of, of, the, of the Tennessee AD smoking the cigar after the Alabama game, you know, or president it may have been or both I think it was both you know so yes they're the ones who are most supposed to be making the rules and no one's throwing the field but they're happy to see it too it, it's just part of what in my opinion makes college football such a great sport but yes there are risks to it there's uh obviously we don't want injuries occurring during celebrations um so yes I do think that that there should be more protection as far as fans go if players are going out of their way to try to um get in fights or try to assault fans, absolutely. Uh, there has to be probably tighter security in both realms. Now getting to an Auburn question. This question says, Auburn has shown small improvements in the O-line and running game while regressing badly on defense and stagnant after seven games in the passing game, even with potentially good receivers. How can coaching be the blame for lack of discipline on the field? Have these small improvements earned Coach Harson more time? As many now see, he has delivered on getting improvements where he can. So there's multiple parts to this. I want to start. Let's see, where do I want to start here? I I think I want to start with how can uh, Coach Harson be the be the blame for the lack of discipline on the field. So again, I just talked about discipline as far as Nick Saban goes, and I think most would agree Nick Saban's the greatest coach of all time. So discipline is not an easy thing to coach. It's not. But as a coach, you're responsible for it. You're responsible for the players that you recruit and the players that you bring into your program, and getting and you're responsible to getting them to perform at the level you want them to, and that includes playing disciplined football. Penalties are one of those things that are, for the most part, controllable. There, there. It doesn't. I look. I played the sport. I know it's not always easy to 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 not have a penalty. It's not always easy not to not to hold somebody. It's not always easy to to have a mental lapse and, and false start, especially in, in you know in tough environments. I get that, but as a coach, you're still responsible for for bringing that discipline into your players. So the the lack of discipline 
in year one, I give you a little bit of a more pass if, if you're Brian Harson, Because in year one, it's not necessarily all your guys. These aren't necessarily uh, guys that you may even want in your program. You still don't get a complete pass for it because you're still coaching them. You still have the chance to develop them and figure out if you want to play them or don't want to play them. But the guys who are in this program now, they bought in because they could have transferred. Many did. We saw an, a mass exodus in the offseason. So many guys did. So the players in your program that you've got now, if you're Brian Harson, these are guys that want to be at Auburn, and these are guys that bought in to you. So there's no saying, well, these guys aren't bought in, so that's why they're undisciplined. If they're bought in, if they believe, then then you know you're responsible for 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 their play on the field and, and their discipline as players. So that's why I would give uh, blame still to Brian Harson for lack of discipline uh, in, in, in this case. Uh, more so, I give him a little bit more of a pass in year one uh, than I would in, in year two here. Uh, as far as uh, moving on to in the improvements in the offense line and run game. The improvements there, they were good. They were good to see, but how much of that has to do with the Ole Miss defense? I, I'm not trying to be negative. I think it's some of both. I certainly think that this Auburn game plan was better. I think the offensive line played a better game. I thought the run schemes were better, as I mentioned at the, at the start. But Ole Miss's defense, I don't think it's very good either. I don't think their D line and linebackers are very talented. So it's some of both there. But I'm, I'm going to try to stay positive on this, and you still, no matter how good or, or bad an opponent is, you still deserve credit for doing what you're supposed to do. So that was good to see. That is improvement from this team. Yet, uh, the question does mention that the defense has regressed and the passing game has struggled. Again, I think the passing game just goes back to uh, Robbie Ashford and just his development. He's not a great passer. That's just fact of the matter. He's got to continue to try to grow in that. But I do agree with the fact that there are some potentially talented receivers on this Auburn team that I don't believe Auburn has utilized well enough. And Javarius Johnson, Camden Brown, two that come to mind immediately. Of course, uh, Landon King was one. He has now taken a, a medical red shirt for this season. So I do think that your passing game could improve in that, even with Robbie Ashford at QB, by continuing to get these players involved, whether that's trying to find isolation matchups, whether that's screens, Taking advantage of these guys, even if your quarterback can struggle, there's still ways that you can get the ball to these players. That's something that the the staff has to look at uh, as a whole in this bye week moving forward, how to improve the passing game, whether that means having to go back to uh, T.J. Finley at quarterback or staying with Robbie Ashford if these are things that can be fixed mechanically. I'm not real sure that's something the staff has to to address. Um, As far as the defense goes, the question says they've regressed. I don't know as much if they regress as if, again, you face a better uh, rushing offense than Ole Miss, but I think really what it comes down to, the linebacker play is is not great this year. Uh, Cam Riley was great in week one. He's been banged up since and hasn't played a ton. Will him maybe getting back healthy after this bye week, will that help uh, slow down the run game, having uh, him back there at linebacker next to instead of Wesley Siner? possibly. And again, in the Ole Miss game, it wasn't as much getting gashed, at least early on, up front. The D-line, they're just thin. They just are, for whatever reason. There's a lot of players that play D-line. There's a lot of talent, I think, in that D-line room. However, 
uh, Jimmy Brumball and Jeff Schmitting just don't seem to like to rotate uh, along the D-line. I think that may have to change because I really do believe that's part of the reason that it looks as if this defense has regressed, especially against the run, because these guys are just getting worn down. Well, look, we know the injuries at edge were huge with Leota going out was huge. I, you know, Derek Hall had to play every snap, but Colby Wooden's playing about every snap as well. So I really do think this this defense is just getting worn down, and that was the fact of the matter, especially against an Ole Miss team that runs up tempo. I really do believe you got you got to to substitute and get guys in there uh, that are fresh, and even if they're not as good of a player, a fresh guy off the bench may be better than a worn down uh, Colby Wooden in these situations. So I think that's the reason for the run game. Also, think the secondary has to has to defend a little bit better again because Ole Miss had success on the edge. Secondary's got to defend better against the run. Uh, they've been very solid against the pass, and I've been very pleased with that this season. been a big positive for me. But as far as the defense goes, I think that certainly substitution, getting more guys uh, playing time, is something that Jeff Schmitty's going to have to look at and possibly go go with going forward. Not something you have to do necessarily against every team, but Arkansas is going to run up tempo as well. So it may be something, and they're going to want to run the ball too. So that's going to be something that Coach Schmitting will definitely have to look at. So with all that, trying to break that down into different pieces, all that kind of comes to the, the final question. And do these improvements um, give Coach Harson more time? And this also goes with a, a, a question right behind it, and that says, how long before Harson is fired? So I'm going to tie these two in here. To be honest, it, it seems highly unlikely that Brian Harson is the Auburn football coach next year. With that being said, though, we've seen crazier things. Who would have thought he would have been back after the February situation? But pretty much anyone you would ask that covers Auburn football would tell you, no, Brian Harson is done. A change will be made. But we still don't have an athletic director with thought. Maybe that'll come today. Who knows? It still could. There's still plenty of time left in the day. I do think the athletic director search is coming to an end. And whenever that announcement is made, I think you'll know a lot more about the coaching situation. My original kind of thought was a change uh, involving Brian Harson would have been made before uh, an AD was hired, but that doesn't seem to be the way that Chris Roberts, Dr. Roberts, the president here at uh, Auburn, wanted to, to go with the situation. Looks like he wants to get an AD in place and let that AD kind of make the decision. So, to be honest, it does seem that, though, at least Brian Harson might make it through the season. But, again, once a new AD is hired, that could change. He may decide we're going to go ahead and move on so I can get uh, expedite this process of trying to get a new coach in there. So, to, to answer the question, I, I do believe he will be fired. When, I really don't know. An interesting caveat here with, with uh, Dr. Roberts is he, he's an engineer, and he has a plan. He's sticking to it. The thing is, he's not telling anyone. The amount of um, information that had the uh, contradicting. There's the word I was looking for. There's been a ton of contradicting information from Auburn reporters, highly like touted Auburn uh, reporters that covered the covered the university and covered the university for a long time, uh, contradicting each other. So. Uh, that means they're either getting lied to or they're getting fed false information on purpose because uh, Dr. Roberts does not want info getting out. And if, he, if, and if he is doing that, which is not uncommon for big-time coaching searches, you typically see that, and big-time 
associates in general for for the media be fed false information on purpose, trying to you know kind of create a smoke screen. So if he is doing that, more power to him. I respect it. He doesn't want anybody to know what he's thinking or what he's going to do. But I have all the confidence in the world that he has a plan and that he's at, the plan's going just to see how he wanted it to, and that he's going to hire the right guy at AD, and then he's going to allow that AD to to make a decision, you know, moving forward with the football program. So that's just been interesting to me to see all that play out regarding the AD search. And again, once that a hire is made there, we'll certainly discuss that and the impact it could have on Brian Harson because things are going to change rapidly. Uh, that's where the situation stands, in my opinion, at the moment. And the final question, this one a little bit of a joke here, why is Kevin Steele not the best candidate, uh, assuming that Brian Harson is let go? Of course, we all know about the... Uh, the coup back after uh, Gus Malzahn was fired when the whole plan was for Kevin Steele to become the head coach. He got the interim title but did not uh, get the head coaching job at Auburn. So this was a little joke on that. This uh, question had me rolling when I when I, I first read it, if you if you knew the whole backstory on that whole situation when, when Gus Malzahn was fired. Uh, so Kevin Steele now the defense coordinator at Miami, and he is definitely – uh, should not even be a candidate, and he won't be if Brian Harson is to be fired. Miami defense has struggled a little bit year one under him. I do, however, do think he's a very good D.C., uh, but no, he, he should not be the head coach at Auburn, and he won't be, but of course that question uh, was a joke. So thank you all for your questions. I had a great time answering them there, and uh, we'll be right back now uh, after this short break, uh, final break of the day, for our final segment of predictions uh, of college football. So we'll be right back. If you've been working, you've already proven yourself. Welcome back to the final segment here of Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. We had a fantastic week of college football last weekend. Uh, I thought it was going to be that way, and it certainly lived up to expectations. This week, not as an exciting week. There's still a potential for some good games, and we'll certainly hope to get that. This week, of course, Auburn on a bye. So any week that Auburn's on a bye is not as, not as fun as, uh, as other weeks. But starting out here with Syracuse at Clemson. Syracuse is undefeated this year under Dino Babers. And they are headed to Clemson, who came off the win on the road last week against Florida State. They look to be like the Clemson of old, uh, playing really good football. After all the, the hate that DJ Uyunga-Galole, it's hard to pronounce there, um, had this this all season. He is having a great season this year at Syracuse. Great to see that for him. A great player there. Uh, at, and but Syracuse has a uh, really good rushing attack uh, with Sean Tucker, a great running back, but also led by former Mississippi State transfer Garrett Schrader. What's it going to take for Syracuse to win this game? Probably a lot. They're go, of course going to have to be able to run the football against a very talented Clemson D line, but they're also going to take it's going to take a uh, you're going to see, need to see DJ struggle in this game a little bit, possibly some turnovers. I, I really don't see how Syracuse is going to get this done in Death Valley this weekend. I like Clemson. Kansas at Baylor. Kansas coming off two straight losses after the 5-0 and start. Of course, uh, their quarterback, Daniels, is day to, uh, week-to-week, day-to-day still. He did not play last game. Uh, I'm not sure. I kind of doubt he'll play this week at Baylor. Baylor trying to get things back right. They were the Big 12 champs last year, but they're 3-3 three and three right now. Uh, really, their defense is what struggled more, more so than their offense, uh, so they got to get things clicking there. I think they do. I think they get another win 
against Kansas at home this weekend. Ole Miss at LSU. LSU maybe even a favorite here. The line was sitting at almost even between these two teams. It's the 2.30 game on CBS. I, I think a lot of people like this because the way LSU played last week. Their offense looked a lot better against Florida. They got the win in the swamp. I was, I was very surprised by that game, I'll be honest. Uh, they found some things offensively. Uh, Jaden Daniels probably played his uh, best game he's played all season. But how does this defense hold up against this Ole Miss offense? I'm very intrigued to see this game because I really want to see this Ole Miss rushing attack against this front seven of LSU that I think is a very good uh, front seven. So that's why I'm excited about this matchup. I don't care as much about, well, this is a tough road environment as much as the play on the field. I'm not buying into that for this game. Yes, I know Death Valley is going to be rocking. I'm not trying to knock LSU fans, but that's really – uh, really what I want to see at this Ole Miss rushing attack against this LSU front seven. I think there's a lot of issues with this Ole Miss team. Their strength of schedule, fairly weak so far. They're about to get into a lot tougher games, starting with this one. And LSU, if they truly have improved, this is certainly a dangerous game for this Ole Miss team, uh, having to go on the road here. Um, but they're not facing a great offense, but they didn't face a great offense in Auburn, and Auburn ran all over them which it makes me believe the LSU might do the same. I think this game is going to be very close, but in the end, I think Ole Miss's offense is going to be able to do enough, and I think they get the win, but in a very tight one here. I could certainly see this going the other way, but I like Ole Miss. UCLA at Oregon. This college game day is going to be there, number 9 UCLA at number 10 Oregon. Uh, UCLA, a lot of hype around them. Chip Kelly there returning to Eugene. Not the first time. He's been at UCLA for a few years now, so he's played at Oregon. But they've got a great offense led by quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's been there for a while, but arguably the, one of the best running backs in the country they have there at UCLA and Zach Charbonnet. The problem for me with UCLA that I don't think people are addressing their defense, they've given up a lot of points in almost every game they played. I think the the smallest total they gave up was seven to Alabama State, uh, but they they have really struggled uh, on the defense side of the ball. They made up for that because of their uh, prolific offense that they've got, but they're going to be facing a very good Oregon offense uh, led by Bo Nix, who's having a great year out there at Oregon. I just, after watching that South Alabama-Troy game last night and seeing that South Alabama only put up six points against Troy, yet they put up over 30 against UCLA. I try not to judge too much by one game. That's why I went back and I looked at UCLA's opponents and their games and the fact they've given up a lot of points in a lot of games to teams that aren't very good. I just don't see a way they can stop this Oregon offense unless this Oregon offense stops themselves. Therefore, I think Oregon wins, and I think they win fairly easily. Not a blowout, but I think they might win by two scores in this game. Texas at Oklahoma State, another good Big 12 matchup. Key to watch here, Spencer Sanders' health. He played last week. They blew that game against TCU where they were up uh, big in that game. Even Spencer Sanders did not practice all last week, yet he played in the game. But he did not play well, yet they still probably should have won that football game. Here's Texas. Uh, Texas almost lost to Iowa State, very surprisingly there. But that's typical Iowa State, good defense. They usually can pull off a lot of uh, upsets. They weren't able to against Texas, but it was a close one. I'm still high on this Texas team, though. I like Quinn Ewers and what Steve Sarkeesian is doing there. Uh, So I think they get the win, again, on the road against a still-banged-up Oklahoma State team. 
Vandy at Mizzou. This is my upset prediction of the week. I don't think Vandy's won an SEC game in maybe three years. I think they get it done at Missouri this weekend. Missouri's the two-touchdown favorite. I don't know. It's just kind of a feeling. I, I feel like finally Clark Lee gets a, gets a big win. So I like Vanderbilt over Missouri. Not really any rhyme or reason behind it. Uh, no technical breakdown on it. It's just a gut feeling. I've got Vanderbilt upset of the week there. Minnesota at Penn State. Well, Penn State got rolled by Michigan this past weekend. It's the same story for Penn State fans. They're very frustrated with James Franklin and the way things continue to go for this uh, Penn State program, not being able to win those big games like they would like to see him do. So this one's a big one. This is their wideout Minnesota, a good team, very good running back. Uh, This is a dangerous game for Penn State. I think they respond well, though. Wideout environment, Auburn played there, of course, last year. uh, Auburn fans know how tough that is. So I like Penn State in this one. Mississippi State at Bama. I like Bama to respond. Um, Mike Leach's offenses have really struggled uh, so far in his time in the SEC against Alabama. I, I don't see that changing. Alabama coming off a loss is a dangerous Alabama. They win, and they win big in this one. Texas A&M at South Carolina. A lot of people wanting to go South Carolina here. Here's the deal. South Carolina's offensive line is atrocious. Atrocious. And this Texas A&M defensive line and this defense as a whole is very, very solid. South Carolina's best chance keeping this as a low-scoring game because A&M's offense, as we know, is not great. So hoping they can keep this game late and maybe Spencer Rattler can make some magic happen late in this one for South Carolina. But I got to go Texas A&M on the road, I think, by at least a touchdown here uh, in, in this one. Uh, I would like to see South Carolina pull off the upset. I just don't think they've got the players to be able to do that unless Spencer Rattler just um, goes Superman on them and makes some incredible things happen with his legs because he's not going to have much time uh, with the offensive line they've got there. And to finish off a nighttime game here, Kansas State at TCU. TCU leading the charge, uh, top team in the, uh, in the Big 12, but Kansas State right behind them. Uh, Kansas State is playing really good football. They depend, though, completely on their running game. Uh, Adrian Martinez is their quarterback. He has less than 1,000 yards passing this season, almost has many of that, as many as that rushing. He is a uh, very, very good quarterback running the ball, not a great passer, and they've got a great running back in Deuce Vaughn. If Kansas State can, if TCU can slow down Kansas State uh, running the football, then they'll have a good chance to win. TCU's offense has been clicking. Quentin Johnson's been an amazing receiver for him, been a great weapon for Max Duggan and the CCU football team. But this just feels like a Kansas State victory to me. They go into TCU. TCU, I just think, is a due for a loss. They've had big game after big game after big game. I think it's time for a letdown for them. So I think Kansas State goes in there and gets a win on the road. So thank you all for tuning in today. I appreciate all the questions. We'll have to do that again uh, here soon. Uh, Again, I didn't get to everything I would have liked to discuss today. I wanted to get into a little bit about Auburn basketball media days, but we'll have more time for that later on. It was more more important to to answer your questions, so I appreciate all that, that had some for me. And I hope you all enjoy Uh, maybe a little bit less stressful uh, of a Saturday and weekend of college football. And we'll be back next Friday. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. 
Make sure to tune in again next Friday at 11 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.